Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode eight of the Wilma podcast. I am Sarah Good Medicine. I also go by uh, Good Medicine as an art name. And uh, you can call me Auntie Sarah. You she, her pronouns. And um, I'm here. We're sitting in Phil and Sebastian in uh, East Village, which uh, is just sort of an interesting location. Sort of uh, some feelings of gentrification come up for me or thinking about it and homelessness. And... Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where our conversation goes today. We have lots of good prompts. So uh, maybe we'll just go around the table quick here and introduce ourselves here. We'll just go with the sun here. So to my left. Hi, everyone. My name is Stephen Wright. I'm the old white guy. Uh, welcome to our eighth episode of the Wilma Podcast. Right on. And going around the circle here, who else we have sitting with us? Uh, my name is Jess Annan. Uh, yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, I just work in different research spaces. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. I am a black woman born and raised in Calgary, Alberta. Parents are from Africa, so yeah. Hey, <laughs> it's really nice to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, just before we get started, you know, we always sort of do uh, a land acknowledgement of sorts, and I was uh, corrected the other day uh, being told that, uh, you know, land acknowledgements are an indigenous thing. I still have mixed feelings about that. Uh, somebody was saying we always acknowledge the nations that were present, which I think makes sense. But I don't know if that's always what we're doing or the impact of what we're doing. And, um, you know, it was brought to my attention recently how, um, you know, we say this is Treaty 7 land here, but, uh, and the signing nations of Treaty 7 uh, being the uh, uh, Six of Gates at the Peaks, the Blackfoot Confederacy, um, the Beaver people or the Tsutina uh, who live just uh, south uh, west of Calgary here, and also uh, the Eyehe Nakoda, Stony Nakoda peoples, um, just out towards the mountains. And, uh, you know, it, it's important for me to identify as a native person, but at the same time, you know, pan-indigeneity or pan-nativeness can be particularly problematic. And um, in Treaty 7, you know, while those were all signing nations, the space that those nations were in uh, when that treaty was signed were not good, you know. Uh, the buffalo had been killed off. Uh, so that lots of these uh, people were starving and um, and uh, they didn't speak English, lots of them. There were translators. So uh, I've heard recently that uh, because of these um, these things here, and we, we often refer to this land as, as Blackfoot territory, uh, which big ups to my Blackfoots out there. I also feel, um, you know, as somebody who's not from here, a certain tension um, you know, I had a friend of mine, I shared a, a post on Instagram the other day that said, Mulkinstis Calgary, and just trying to sort of relate this place to being a, a you know, uh, a traditional word that we used to refer to this place. But then this person is not Blackfoot, but they are from one of the signing treaty nations. And they, uh, because I tagged them in it, they put uh, their people's name for this area there. And then I was just thinking, like, every time I refer to Calgary, am I just going to say, like, three words, you know what I mean? And, and I'm not wanting to hurt anybody, but also wanting to acknowledge that. 
and um, part of this was understanding that the um, Ayahanakota people just finished preliminary hearings in where they're suing Canada uh, that's finished in November to say that this is um, also Stony Nakoda or Ayahanakota uh, territory and so it's just like you know the fruits of colonial oppression continue to come mm-hmm. and cause conflict and uh, on one hand I really do feel it's important uh, I hear this a lot in the native community that you know we um, need to stop fighting each other you know what I mean and work together we're our biggest um, what do you call it our biggest enemies because we don't support each other and then at the same time I also feel there's an issue of pan-indigeneity happening where like yeah like a, we shouldn't be fighting each other but also like we're not all the same either and yeah. so there's this like sort of tension so you know um, myself as a as a mixed race Métis uh, person who recently understood that we're not just Métis on on my dad's side uh, we're also Chippewa and Korea Métis and you know too distant from those communities to to really claim connection to them but um, you know at the same time still really functioning in my life as a as an indigenous person so it's you know figuring out where everybody fits is a very challenging thing and it just I wanted to share these things in a sort of land acknowledgement to say what's going on in Treaty 7 right now and just to sort of highlight the complexities that colonialism brings in and um, and so yeah just sort of some interesting things I don't know if that brings up anything for anybody around the table right now yeah I think the thing that comes to mind for me is uh, when I first kind of um, got into these spaces learning more about uh, indigenous uh, sovereignty uh, land acknowledgements at first I was like okay I see organizations institutions doing this so I think it's better than nothing not um, I thought that than not uh, acknowledging but then just like anything else it just becomes like a, a box for people to be able to check right and like you don't really know if they're really connecting with what they're saying I, I forgot where I heard this but um, it was an indigenous scholar who was saying that like perhaps in those times like it's time to also reflect on where as a settler, we are from too, and like why we are here and how we came here and what we do when we're here as well to really kind of like bring more meaning into land acknowledgements rather than just, you know, Googling Putting something. Putting indigenous and, people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, being part of that. And uh, when you, s- like that first part of what you shared about, um, like instead of just checking a box, do you mean as a land acknowledgement or as indigenous people sort of saying they're indigenous but not really having... No, I mean like uh, settler institutions doing a land acknowledgement. I think sometimes it gets treated as like a boxy check or like, you know, it's the beginning of a a research proposal or something. Yeah, and you don't know how deeply people are really connecting with that. So as a response to that, I did hear that some people say like, yeah, maybe it's time to reflect on where we're from as settlers and what like what role we play in perpetuating, you know what I mean? Rather than just Googling like land acknowledgement for my area and then just reading that off, like kind of more (laughs) interrogating and really connecting with what the words are, what you're saying and who you're speaking to, I think. Yeah, how how does, I'm just curious because um, I do feel like I run into settler fragility, like talking about indigenous identity and um, you know, I wrote, I wrote these bars sort of referring to how um, like settler society is, is creating space uh, for settlers and s- continuing to exclude indigenous peoples and, um, and I feel like that 
like if I was if I was in that position and like I would be yeah it just would make me feel things I'm just wondering when when you say like reflecting on like your own identity or place as where you come from as a settler like how does that make you feel like do you feel like yeah like that's really awesome or does it make you feel like uncomfortable like it makes me feel a lot of things like I take uncomfort or discomfort sorry is, is definitely one of those things but also um, reflecting on like the similarities of like displacement and um, being othered so for me yeah I am definitely I'm a settler I'm a, I'm a black settler um, I think a lot of like the different colonial forces of globalization have like changed our where we feel we need to be to kind of get ahead right like Africa has been so extracted from and pillaged that now people are moving from there to different places and that's beautiful in so many different ways but we still need to recognize at the end of the day like um, we're not on our own land we're on indigenous land right so it's just kind of like acknowledging those complexities as well like happy to be here why am I here what does it mean that I'm here what are the different forces that brought me here that also do relate to colonization more broadly as well too yeah that's really interesting mm-hmm. um i'm looking over at steve and he's in uh he's thinking about something what are you thinking about steve? well <coughs> i think the land acknowledgement is, is really a lot of tokenism right it's, it's like okay if i acknowledge that it's indigenous land then i'm off the hook mm-hmm. just go live our lives and to me, it means way more than that. It also means that when I acknowledge the land that I'm on, that it's I'm a settler and it's not my land, and I've been, you know, I need to be respectful of that land. Exactly. And I need to see the land and in, in through the same lens as Indigenous people in order for me to really, really respectfully, you know, live on this land. And I, I, I think it's interesting because that's just we. All these are just artificial boundaries when you talk about, you know, different indigenous people working together rather than fighting each other. I'm thinking that happens in so many different countries where in Africa, all of a sudden you have all these different little countries within the, the continent of Africa. And it's like, who created this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The powers to be, right? So and who when are you the do that, to, who are well, the, the white folks, yeah. you know, the British, really. The British colonized almost so many different places in the world. So I think that we need to really examine that because that's an artificial um, way of sort of distributing land and territory and it's based on on warfare. It is, yeah. Like you're set up to do that. And so I find that uh, I find that interesting. It's got a frog in my throat. <laughs> a ribbit. So um, I'm sort of interested here because I do feel like as I've been learning about how hierarchies function like the Wilma podcast, um, White Lives Matter podcast, always podcast. We started this to start a sort of highlight, <coughs> Hanya. So we started this so that uh, we could highlight how sort of race plays out in society and how uh, I always say how white lives matter always and the rest of us just matter sometimes. Yep. And um, depending how the white folks value everything. Well, for sure, yes. And I remember, actually, that reminds me, um, I was doing a dialogue, and I remember, um, so there was, it was a group of uh, primarily Native women, uh, and uh, one Native guy, and two white people, one uh, cis man, one cis, cis girl, and, um, and I mentioned that 
you know, the nicer, I was lo looking at the white guy in the group and I said, the nicer you are to certain people in the group within the dynamics of, of your organization, there were uh, also um, happened to be a board. Uh, most of them were a board, some of them were staff. I said, the more power those people have in your organization. And so, um, and I'm also, so that, so, uh, and that sort of surprised uh, him and I had also sort of surprised some of the, the native women in the group. I thought that was interesting. And then I also think, like, in a certain way, what you're saying about exploring settler identity and what you're saying about, uh, like, whiteness and in particular settler identity, which I think settler identity is actually informed primarily by whiteness. Like, you're probably a better settler, you know, you're probably perpetuating settler society more the more white you are. It doesn't yep. matter what physical color you are. Um, but I'm wondering if, if y'all, I feel there's a connection in what you're both sort of saying in a way, and there's a, like a certain vested interest in settlers of color, you know, actually not upsetting, you know, certain white paradigms because, do you see where I'm kind of going do, with this? I do, yeah. Yeah, what do you? In like a really twisted way, it's like, so I'm a settler, so my parents came here on indigenous land, but yet we're expected to be beholden to like white structures and we must appease those white structures to keep a roof over our heads or eat or whatever, right? Or else people will say, you know, go back to where you came from. And there's a lot of irony in that, I guess, yeah. if you really think about it. <laughs> it's, but. So, it's so <laughs> ironic. Like, when I hear a white person say, I don't like immigrants, I'm just like, uh, like, you're sort of fucked. Um, <laughs> uh, do, you, do you hear what Jess is saying? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's part of that. <laughs> Patriarch or colonialism. I, I just want to say, since we got here, Steve has known everything. <laughs> Steve has said, like, I get this, I get this. Well, <laughs> I think, I th but I've been thinking yeah. about this, too, because my family actually immigrated from Great Britain. And so uh, the Scottish and the Irish have always been oppressed by the British. Mm -hmm. And the British are infamously really well known for sending off people to Australia, to Canada, people that were in debtor's prison, they were of least value. So that, that oppression and that move of having people emigrate to different countries is still under the white I colonial rule. I feel it is, and that's, it feels like a woke point, but I want to go back to sort of what we we're saying there is that act, like, what I feel like lots of times with, when we're talking about racism is there's a, sort of a paradigm that happens that like white is bad and everybody else is sort of good or like everybody else is oppressed and needs liberation but in that paradigm there's sort of like settlerism doesn't always get explored and what i'm sort of saying here is that settlers of color and white settlers um actually have a vested interest in banding together you know for power is mm -hmm. sort of what i'm i'm getting at do you do you feel that? We're both settlers. We were both. We both had to leave our mother countries, whatever, um, because of circ because we weren't actually really belonging or valued. And so that's I, the I only commonality, except for the color of our skin, is different. Well, well, no, like I think you're missing the point a little bit, Steve. So, um, like what I, I'm saying and what what we're sort of talking about is that you have a vested interest to uh, collaborate with settlers who are not white that if y'all actually get in a group and have good relationships with each other that that doesn't actually mean uh that racism so i guess what i'm getting at is that racism towards indigenous people like us being excluded from our own territories is racist mm -hmm. like it, it is mm -hmm. it is an, an, anti-indigenous but um when we think about 
forms of diversity that come up in organizations, it usually has a certain image that there's different shades of people, different races of people, but like just because that's there doesn't mean that you know uh, racism doesn't exist. You know, like I guess um, there's some not naming any names, but there are white organizations who have many BIPOC uh, representatives in their organizations, and they look very progressive and these sorts of things. And yet, the very existence structurally of them is racist towards Indigenous people. And so, mm-hmm. by not sort of seeing that. Um, there's power in that I guess is what I'm saying and so I'm not talking about just the displacement from coming from somewhere else what I'm talking about is that you uh, being the primary power holder in society generally speaking um, if you can be in a good place with non-white people and everything looks diverse it actually looks very progressive, but it is it, it could actually be very you know damaging too because you're still not addressing settler uh, indigenous power dynamics. Another, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. It's like it's how power is playing out here in like these neoliberal colonial spaces that like we can come here, we can say we like d- diversity, EDI is amazing and stuff, but if we're still functioning in these like I guess top-down ways where you're still beholden to like capital or just power that's the way that we're you're used to power you're not really addressing the roots no of racism like you're still perpetuating that so if me as a black person i'm working in an organization and i'm their token black person that's not diversity especially if we're not really acknowledging more of what's happening like on in the land i think yes exactly like if you're willing to be tokenized in the organization, and sometimes this happens, like sometimes people just need their bread. Yeah, like I'm just, I've definitely you, been there. You know, <laughs> like, so there's no, we're not like, when we're in dialogue talking like this, it's not about judgment, it's not about saying you're bad because uh, you're this way or you're good because you're this way. We're simply trying to have a critical perspective of the way things are mm-hmm. so that we can think about it in a way where we can do things that would change it. Mm-hmm. And that's not judging, you know, that we know those outcomes just to be able to see it in, in the first place. Oh, that's that part of critical reflection, right? There's a big difference between reflection and critical reflection. Critical reflection actually looks at the power structure and the status of where that's coming from. So you're right about your comment about an organization could look really diverse, they could strut the stuff, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's equity involved in that organization or that racism doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. For sure. I just want to point out, too, uh, in a loving way, Steve, um, I feel like you've explained a lot of things today. Like, when we're talking, everything is coming from a place of, of like, I know, and... Uh, no, I, these are things I'm still thinking about. Like, do you sort of feel what I'm saying a little bit when I'm telling Steve, or do you feel... I'm new, so I don't know. I don't yeah. know how it usually goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, interesting thing I think that's playing out here. Um, so I don't know what it's about, uh, but I'm just pointing it out. Um, so I feel this relates to one of our prompts, which is that uh, whiteness, I- the question is, is whiteness culture or is whiteness access to power? Yeah. And uh, shout out to Adora, who leads BLM Calgary here and who uh, interviewed me on uh, I think it's uh, YYC living the creative lifestyle and uh, this is one thing she said to me that uh, 
that just sort of has been making me think like because I often on our podcast refer to whiteness as culture mm-hmm. as sort of a, a norm the way that people uh, are and um, yeah but I uh, but it is access to power and then uh, they're coming from a perspective of being uh, an anthropologist so they study culture that's sort of their, mm-hmm. their discipline so yeah I'm interested what, what do you think about that do you yeah I think that is such a radical and profound way of looking at things and I think it also kind of explains a lot of the like tension I've felt in spaces with other black people where I felt like oh shouldn't I feel like the most at home like I'm finally around my people in this space where I can go weeks without seeing anybody who looks like me but often these people I meet are very much like yeah towing that line very much emulating whiteness and are happy to do so right so and maybe that gets them ahead and work and stuff but at the same time they're also kind of like demoralizing people who aren't subscribing to that whiteness you know like they're making it seem like this is how you get ahead this is a good thing because it gets me power yeah you know what this reminds me of too um i don't know if either of you have studied uh like how addictions and alcoholism can play out in families but i was just sharing this yesterday that with somebody where there's this thing that happens in um sort of dysfunctional families where it's like auntie's drunk you know or she's passed out on the couch and um, you know what I mean, but there's an elephant in the room, nobody talks about it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, it's like there's a certain gaslighting that's happening. People feel something's wrong, there's something inherently not good happening. Um, but because it feels taboo n- to talk about it, or socially is incorrect mm-hmm. to talk about it, that it nothing sort of changes sort of thing and that actually yeah wasn't gonna connect those things but that's kind of interesting yeah. it just normalizes whiteness as like the default the right thing to do right so i see i can definitely see what adora means by it's not a it's not just like a, a culture it's kind of like a, it's a way of being and knowing and doing right yeah, yeah. and maybe that is somehow devoid of what we kind of know of culture and that like, it tries to like limit and like be like you can only be like this one way so it kind of like squashes exploration and, and diversity, quote unquote. But yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense to me. Yeah, I really feel that. Uh, what do you think about that, Steve? Well, I mean, you know, I, I kind of think about indigenous people and people that are immigrating to Canada, like I said, are usually coming, well, not the indigenous people, because you lived here all along, you were the first people, but people that are immigration, I mean, we, we work with a lot of immigrants, and usually a lot of them are coming from situations that aren't good, uh, and they immigrate to Canada under the belief that their lives would be better, more particularly that the lives of their children would be better, right? right. They're very selfless acts, but no one actually really says, well, in order for you to be successful and have that life, you have to buy into our yeah. way of life. Yeah, it's never really said, but it's it's very much culturally there. And so I could see people. Uh, I'm going to think of a, a way to describe it that's really simple yet gets to the point. As as you acquire power and status, uh, it's almost like the color of your skin kind of disappears because you're really buying into the white man's way. I wonder about that sometimes. How status and power affects people and how you can attain your your authentic life but still be successful and raise your children and your family in a good place.
Christ. Yeah, I feel like that's what you're talking about. Yeah, this right. might be a bit of a tangent, but I remember. Let's when, go. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I off mo- road. <laughs> I had uh, moved to Victoria for grad school, and it was a very, very stressful time. Like the rental market was awful. Like barely anyone to connect to. So I'd gone to therapy, and I was speaking to this person who it was a non-white therapist. They were they were an Asian woman themselves, and she tells me like, you know, like you're in school, like uh, you've got a partner, like. Just look at Oprah. Like at one point, her life, her family didn't want her, but look at her now. And I'm like, so I'm supposed to look at this rich black lady and supposed to fix all my problems? Like I don't, I don't understand that. That's my medicine. Like I don't get this. So I think, feel like for her, she just saw that I was black and thought about the most famous black woman she could think of. And you <laughs> didn't think, do it too. Right? Didn't think of my reality or who I am or if that's even what I want. Or, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that, that kind of happens a lot. And I think that is that part point where maybe like status can kind of trump um, your skin color. Your yeah, if you can fit into those spaces and you can get that power, then who's to tell you that you're the black lady who stands out when you're a billionaire, right? So yeah. like bringing that, bringing Oprah into a therapy session to make me feel better when I can barely pay you rent. Too, you too can be like her. Yeah, it was one that like I'll never forget it. Like, yeah. I'm like what was that yeah. supposed to accomplish? What am I taking from it? Yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I, do you, do you, did you feel, uh, I guess uh, when I hear that story, I sort of think she's, uh, as Steve says, drank the Kool-Aid. Like, I feel 100%. Like, yeah. They're like, she's just essentially telling me, keep grinding and you'll get there and we'll be fine. That's yeah. what I heard. Yeah, and the white folks really portray her as, look, this is a successful black y- woman. Yeah. Look and what she's done. I mean, our, our culture does that. Mm-hmm. You put her up on a pedestal. Yeah. You're okay. You're in, like, and even, with us. Even totally. our society yeah. is okay because we have Oprah. Yeah. yeah. As if that's supposed right? to mean that I am liberated, like, yeah. in this moment. Like, I, yeah. I, <laughs> it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, it sort of brings up uh, another prompt we have for today, which is safe Indians, which is something I wanted to, mm-hmm. to talk about a little bit. And I guess, you know, I would sort of think that Oprah must make uh, the folks either who are white themselves, but really who are thinking in a white way, uh, feel safe and um, and I you know so had this one uh, memory there was a, a show uh, downtown and um, I was there and I was feeling anxious I wasn't feeling comfortable and uh, and it was very interesting where and I, this has happened to me a few times where I find that white women or white people who are assigned female at birth um, sort of gravitate to me and I wasn't really understanding what was going on like I was trying to make sense of it and I just felt trapped like I felt <laughs> like the sun you know being orbited by these uh, by these uh, <laughs> white planets and <laughs> and I trying to suck them into or- their orbit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally like that. I literally looked around at one point. And they were all dancing around, just like hovering around. <laughs> <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, and I didn't feel good. I didn't feel safe. If I was being honest, I didn't feel safe. But I f- like, um, and I remember telling Steve, and I've talked about this on the podcast before. Like, um, like I was raised as white. I didn't think I was anything but. But other people looked at me, you know, in a different way. But, um, but that w- I didn't understand what was going on. And so, you know, um, I've sort of attuned myself to to whiteness or to not make, uh, you know, white people feel uncomfortable. 
And, uh, you know, I remember uh, in that class, uh, we were talking about race. It's a dialogue. And uh, Tracy Nielsen, uh, she said, um, well, we all know, because there, uh, there was, I think, just two white people in the class and a class of, like, over 30, and the rest were different races, different ethnicities. And she says, well, we all know why those white folks aren't here. And um, <laughs> I was real naive. I'm like, well, actually, like, <laughs> we can't make assumptions, like, why they're not here or whatever, right? Yeah. And, and she just got up and started dancing, like, like doing this, like, dance or whatever. <laughs> and I was just so confused. I'm like, what's, what are you doing? Or, like, what's happening? And she's like, dancing for the white man. And she pointed at me. And it was true. Mm. It was true. I was literally mm-hmm. protecting their power by, um, like, sort of watering down, you know, the obvious thing that was happening, which was they were uncomfortable talking about race because they would lose power. They would yeah. have to look at themselves and the violence that they continually perpetuate. And um, so, you know, that's in me. And, and the reason I bring up that story is because when I was at that club, those, all those uh, wh- primarily white ladies' um, gender identity, they all were very uncomfortable. They were all very anxious. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to my friend, or and they would look at me, and I would give them some sort of affirmation. I would smile at them. I, d- I felt in my heart I didn't want them to be uncomfortable. Oh, God, I feel that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so much. Always trying to make other people safe as I'm, like, uh, on edge. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> just, you're getting flashbacks. <laughs> yes, big time. Every I still catch myself doing it, and every time I'm like, what is that impulse to do that? Yes, that's so interesting. Um, And uh, I was talking to Dwight about it. Uh, Shout out Tribe 1491, Dwight Fairhat. Um, And he said, well, you're a safe Indian. And he's told me this a couple times. And it's like, you know, it's a very interesting idea, you know, to be a safe Indian. Meaning that particularly uh, white people, but not just white people. Like settler fragility is something that can be from anybody, from any ethnicity. that um, you know, people can feel safe around you. They don't feel like their settler identity or their whiteness is being threatened, and um, they can talk to you. And um, like we were talking about before the show, like part of it's my skin complexion, mm-hmm. um, and part of it is because I was raised as white. Like I do, like <laughs> I feel like I've done a lot to reconnect and to you know know like to be indigenous, you know, inside, um, not just, you know, how I look sort of thing, but at the same time, you know, there's things that, like, I'm pretty good at speaking English, like, that was my first language, and that there's, you know, certain things that go with that, and so, yeah, I just wanted to bring up this idea of safe Indian, and, How do you feel when you're I guess it feels gross, mm-hmm. like when I think about it, like I feel used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I feel, yeah, it just makes me feel gross. I feel like an object, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. what does that bring up for you? A lot of things. I feel like it's it's so multi-faceted. Like for in one way, I think that when I've contributed to that is because I'm doing it as like a defense mechanism or like a safety mechanism to want to be feel safe in a very white city right and I've been around 
mostly white spaces. I could be the only black person maybe my grade. So I think in certain ways it's like it was like a coping mechanism that I've learned. And in other ways I think that the more you end up being in entrenched in these white spaces, you pick up those traits too, which kind of makes you more of that safe black person or safe Indian or whatever, right? So it's like this double-edged sword and it makes me feel bad. It makes me feel like I am losing any autonomy I might have and kind of trapped, you know? Like yeah. I've had people say to me, I, this is like going back to like elementary, junior high, um, there were some housing complexes where a lot of uh, Sudanese people had lived and a lot of them were uh, refugees. So not only are they contending with different cultural um, just ways of being, and also they, they look uh, very distinct, right? Like I'm, I'm a dark-skinned black woman and they're even darker than I am, right? So people would say to me, oh, like, you must have a little bit white in you because you don't look like these specific. Right. I'm like, you know, Africa is a big ass place. I don't, I don't know what to tell you, but like, there's so you a lot. Would actually say that? Yeah, people would think, and like, if you can see me today, I'm very West African looking, 100%, but because there was somebody else that they could compare me to who was blacker, you look that white. made me safer and whiter, and it's the wow. wackiest thing to reflect on. Yeah, that's so interesting. You know, um, yeah, I guess it makes me think about colorism. Like, it's like, yeah. When I'm when I'm in white spaces, I feel very much uh, like native, and people will like gravitate to me. But then I also feel like yeah, I will get treated whiter. Like if I'm in a room of people who are not mixed race, like I am, yeah, then um, yeah, it's just it's different. It's so mm -hmm. contextual. It's the featureism as well too. It's not even just color, right? Like um, there's people who are even darker than me, but maybe their features are a little bit more petite or something too so then that kind of like affords certain kinds of privileges as well there's like so many parts that so many weird ways that white people have created to like say like this is a safe version of of another this is a, like an unsafe version like that's so interesting yeah so, you're, so and sorry um so in your story uh those sudanese people like somebody like a white person was saying that they're more comfortable around yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, white people, it would even be like some other Asian people too, that was so a common thing. Oh I had a lot of Filipino friends too growing up too, and like they, there were always just othering the Sudanese people, and I don't think it was just because of the fact that they were refugees, I think it was the fact that like, it was the darkest people they'd ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And that was just such a point of contention for people. That's so interesting. Yeah, and it's really hard not to like, uh, internalize that right like okay so people definitely have these scales in their head right that they that they used to rank people and yes who safe along those lines it's it's and, awful and you know um like those were the times they said something to you i just feel like it comes out in like s subtle ways subtle you always. know and even if you're not trying this is like what we're talking about conditioning steve you know and it's not um it's not just even the way people treat you, like with what they say to you. It's like, um, you know, they call them microaggressions. They're not micro, but they're just, you know, they c there's all these subtle things. That A little bit more covert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. covert, mm -hmm. exactly. And um, that's quite interesting. Geez, so we're getting... <laughs> So the podcast is supposed to be 20 to 30 minutes. We're on 35. <laughs> yeah. so We've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> no kidding. And... Um, I know uh, one thing, you know, I think maybe we can just sort of wrap up on this point. Um, something that we were texting about a little bit was um, just how black and indigenous people in particular, but it's, it, you know, other uh, folks of color as well uh, have to do this, but we sort of have to augment ourselves. And I feel we've touched on this a little bit, mm -hmm. but I feel like 
Um, you know, it makes me think of my dad. So my parents, both my parents are, uh, my bio parents are native, but my mom looks white and my dad looks neat. And um, when we were growing up, everybody referred to my dad as like the nicest person. Mm -hmm. Like they always thought he's so nice, you know what I mean? And even he sort of taught me that in a way, like I value being pleasant with people sort of grosses me out in some ways because I you know sort of feel like I know where it's coming from now um, but he you know I learned this word signaling so like sort of we're, how we were talking about safe Indians safe black people that you signal you know to to show that you're safe yeah and um, you know I used to just think well my dad's just <laughs> so friendly all the time but I really feel like now it wasn't it's not like that it's actually that you know, he felt people feel threatened by him his whole life, but he didn't understand that's what... Because he believed, like when I say to my dad, <laughs> like we're native, he says, I'm, I'm a bloody Scot, is what he says. And I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, he say, he's, he says, I'm a bloody Scot, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so, like, he has a white identity, and he thinks that way, and, you know occasionally he'll say I'm Métis you know um, because it's uh, safer to identify as Métis than it is to identify as Indian or Native um, and um, and so uh, yeah it just sort of it, you know that signaling or like you know it's a one way of augmenting our presence in white spaces and so I just was wondering mm -hmm. like I know uh the trope of angry black woman, you know, is this whole thing, and so... Yeah, it's definitely, like, I, I feel like I augment myself to be safer and smaller and, like, just, like, more out of the way, you know? Like, even when I was younger, too, and I know a lot of people of color, specifically black people, deal with this, like, you hold on to the possibility that you might have different lineage, like, oh, I had a great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa that was English or something, and it's... And I don't know why we want to bring that up so much, you know? <laughs> it's such a thing. And I'm, I'm like, not that black, actually. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, how far back did you have to go to find someone who probably just married into your family? But that's a whole different conversation. I did it too as a child. I see people do it. And I'm like, we need to interrogate why we want to cling on to whiteness and, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's messed up. And I, I'm, I'm very, very introverted. I've got social anxiety too. So that with the combination of being scared to, to be that angry black woman woman and, and then just like internalizing all my thoughts and being like, and then gaslighting myself like, well, oh, maybe nothing is actually happening. Maybe there isn't any racism. Maybe that wasn't a quote unquote microaggression and I'm just sensitive or something. Then you sit with it and you're like, I had full fucking right to be angry, but yes. I didn't want to do that because that makes me less safe. Yes. There were some really great activists in the city who were very, very vocal, like Adora and Taylor McNally and like, they're the ones who are speaking out and you see how they get targeted. So in some ways there's truth to, to that fear of being targeted, but at the same time, like, who am I benefiting by like keeping quiet, right? So. It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah, and I shout outs to the uh, activists in our community that are saying the things that we need to, because they go through a lot. I know. They're like, not safe, yeah. They're not safe and they're sort of bearing that, that front and I, um, you know, and uh, just to bring you back sort of into this, Steve, like, um, <laughs> and I'm not, like, mad at you or nothing. I'm just saying, like, all of this, you know, safe, like, unsafeness is there to protect your power. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely it is. I think, actually, 
just listening to your story, I've seen that happen so many times. And, and uh, when you were just describing your story about how you're a safe Indian, the first thing I thought of is because you look approachable and you mm -hmm. know, look fierce or mm -hmm. angry or hostile. And it's like what you said. And yeah. So the first thing I thought of is, as a white person, do I look inviting? White people don't have to look inviting. Right. They just get to be. <laughs> but we don't, right? Like I don't, I've never thought of that. I just don't think yeah. that that's, way. That's the point. Yeah. Right? I, exactly, because we're white, and it's like we don't, we, I don't have to think mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. Right? I just saw uh, this, you know, thank you, because your story really hits home to a lot about that mm -hmm. safe place and feeling safe. And I'm thinking if you, ha if you make attempts to assimilate into our white culture, is that a safe thing? Yeah. It, well, it, it is for safe. It's really racist when you think about it, yeah. right? It's, it's, you're it, being kind of forced. It can feel safe, but I know that, like, any time exactly. I've done it, I feel awful about myself, yeah. you know? Like, I feel like I've done a harm to myself. And like, then walking away in, thinking, yeah. I should feel good, but I don't no. feel good. Like, what's, what's that whole issue, right? And so I wonder how many people feel that but just can't articulate that mm -hmm. because they're not having conversations. Well, well, there's probably a lot of people out there mm -hmm. thinking the same thing, mm -hmm. right? We need to talk more about that. Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, I feel like we've gotten into some, some interesting little things. Um, you know, the point of this is really to point out uh, how white, mad, white lives matter always and the rest of us just matter sometimes. And even to get into those power structures where they come, uh, go into, like today was really nice that we got to talk about um, settler indigenous uh, power uh, paradigms because it's, it's also har like hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. And and also, you know, because it's so s subverted most of the time, it, you know, it's ev it's even like, yeah, it can be hard. All these power dynamics can be really hard to, to talk about. Yeah, and um, they pit us against each other. Sorry to interrupt, but just the one thing I really want to get at is that it, they also function to get us fighting each other, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah very much. My uh, my buddy Craig First Rider would always say, "Divide and conquer." That's yep. what, that's what they uh, mm -hmm. they had that strategy, and they used us. Today, they use that against us as, as Indians, you know, different nations um, and different, uh, like, blood quantum, you know, is, is a way that they do that. And also between races, like what you're saying, and ethnicities. And even, um, interestingly enough, like you brought up earlier, um, that it's not just, like, all black people are the same. It's, like, black people are also sort of competing with each other in these hierarchies. Yeah, we're all, we're all fighting for the resources that we've been told are scarce, that you need to act a certain way to get, and if you don't get it, you've, you've done something wrong, you know? Yeah. Yes, and that's it. You feel like you've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Wow. Well, I'm so appreciative you came on to share today, Jess. Um, and as always, I appreciate your perspective, Steve, maybe to varying degrees sometimes. But uh, um, it's really important that we do have you here. Like there's, like I said, you know, <laughs> when you say something, it's different than when we say it. And Absolutely. we're really trying to speak to white consciousness um, with these podcasts. So um what uh, I'd just like to thank everybody, all our listeners out there, especially all the feedback that I've been getting, like on the last episode, uh, that we got a little fluffy and a little woke and uh, sort of brought up that, uh, we talked about it today, that status and power, um, that, you know, we can be um, shaded in a way that's not white and still sort of be um, possessing power. And it seems to sort of matter less. We brought it up with Oprah today as an example. So these, these things exist, 
And, um, and so thank you to all our listeners who are providing that feedback. And uh, so I just want to thank you for listening. Also, if you want to connect with us, uh, our email is uh, the Wilma Podcast. That's T H E W L M A Podcast uh, at gmail.com. Our Insta is uh, the Wilma Podcast. That's the at. We're also on Twitter. And um, yeah, uh, thanks so much for being here. Anything you want to shout out? Anything uh, going on in your world uh, that you want to shed some light on? Yeah, uh, first I want to say thank you so much for having me. This has been a really amazing conversation. I really love and reflect on any opportunity that I have to have these kinds of conversations. And I guess I just want to shout out at all the good people who are doing the much needed work, who are currently being targeted, persecuted. Thank you. We need you. We love you. We care. <laughs> we'll be praying for you. Yes. Yeah. And anything uh, you want to wrap up with, Steve? No, thank you both for the conversation. I, uh, it's always a privilege. Um, and I consider myself fortunate to, to be part of this, although my head hurts sometimes and it's hard to... <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's a difficult journey, but nevertheless, I wouldn't be able to do it if it wasn't for you. So thanks. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll see you next month. Thanks for listening.